As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I'm Joe Devine and I'm now joined by Seb stafford Bloor. Hello, Joe Devine. Alex Stewart. Good morning. And that's all. This is a very exciting day, isn't it? This is our last, our last ordinary podcast before the beginning of the Euros. So we're going to talk about some stuff Euros related today. Who's going to be a, a disappointment? Who's going to be interesting? And what's the dynamic that you like? Yeah. And other things too. Uh, so, uh, uh, Seb, this was a great fun episode to record, wasn't it? Sure was. I had a good time. Yeah. And Alex, you, I remember that thing you said that we all laughed at a lot. Oh yeah. No, I was, I was on good form for that. Pressure's on now. And that thing that you did, Joe, that we had to edit out, obviously, because... You know, <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. That, Goes without saying. The thing that we will never talk about ever again. Mm, of course. Uh, uh, speaking of things that we will never talk about again, the opposite of that is the athletic, because it's so good that we talk about it all the time. And if you'd like to join us in that conversation, you, you should visit theathletic.com forward slash TIFO, where you can avail yourselves of a, of a 30-day free trial, I believe, at the moment, to test it before you uh, arrest on it, because it's so good that you'll go into cardiac arrest. Is that good? Test before arrest? Maybe I should be in... The marketing world should be in sales. Yeah, to tell you what, I've heard about the Euros plans, and they're great. They're really exciting, and they've uh, they've dedicated some of their writers to particular teams. Uh, so I'm particularly excited about following Belgium. I have to say, uh, loads and loads of exciting things coming up. So now would be a pretty good time to get a 30 day free trial because I think the Euros lasts for 30 days. So you should give that a try with theathletic.com forward slash tifo. Um, and uh, yeah, please do do that. It's good for me. Anyway, uh, that's all uh, for the intro. I hope you enjoy today's episode, and I will uh, leave you in the uh, the warm hands and the cool, cool, cool embrace of Alex Stewart and Seb Stafford Bloor. Most important question of the podcast, of course, who's going to be a terrible disappointment? Yeah? Now, this is the negativity that we like to bring into international football, and I will accept either a player, I will accept a team, I will accept a department, or I would, I suppose, accept the entire tournament itself. Alex? <laughs> um, I, I think it's going to be quite passive a lot of the time. Um, I think the good teams will keep the ball a lot and the bad teams will sit deep or the relatively bad teams will sit deep and will get a disproportionately high number of games when not an awful lot happens. Um, so you're saying the tournament itself, Alex? <laughs> You've chosen that option. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously not. Um, no, I, I, I just think that international football has... Uh, you know, a lot of the good teams play stylistically in ways that are quite similar. Um, and I think a lot of the weaker teams 
are obviously going to sit deep and look to counter-attack because that makes sense. And after the season that we've had with, you know, injuries and uh, the congestion of fixtures and so on. Tired, tired players. Tired, tired players. And tired, tired players are going to, you know, if they're good, tired, tired players, they're going to circulate the ball a lot. If they're bad, tired, tired players, none of them are bad, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, they're, they're going to form two resolute banks of four and try and lob it forwards to you know, someone to get up there. So I, I just feel like you might end up seeing a lot of games that happen in the sort of middle bit between the halfway line and the opposition box where the good team have the ball a lot and the bad team just try and repel them for long stretches of time. Here's a question, though. Uh, you say that lots of the sort of, you know, air quotes, good teams play stylistically in a similar way. What 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 is that? Because it's not like... Um... It's not like Guardiola or anything, is it? Well, you, you do you do see teams try and do certain things that are kind of classic positional play stuff. So there'll be a lot of instances where a fullback and a and a winger are kind of swapping positions. So one's cutting inside, one's maintaining the width. I suppose what I mean is that teams like to play out from the back. So a lot of teams, whether they're playing with a back four or a back three, you'll see centre-backs splitting wide, you'll see a lot of ball rotation, you'll see the full-backs pushing up sort of a third of the way and a midfielder dropping in and creating these really solid possessional structures deep on the pitch. And the goalkeeper with it at his feet. Yeah, goalkeepers will, will kind of come out and participate in that as well. But because I, I worry that that teams aren't necessarily going to press manically. Some teams will, you know. <laughs> Austria pressed England really effectively in the, the last but one friendly. But I, I think teams may kind of press, try and press high early doors, unsettle the stronger team. And if that doesn't work after about 15 minutes, they'll stop doing it because they don't have the energy. Um, and, you know, I think I think that could end up with with this sort of deep ball rotation and a really solid um, kind of structure, but but not necessarily then making inroads further up the pitch. Yeah, okay. Because uh, the other thing I think is that... Um, it's going to be I always great. I to remind I mean, myself. <laughs> Obviously. I'll have so much fun, but yes. Sure. Uh, the other thing I try to remind myself of is that uh, the, the sort of level of... Um, I suppose, tactical discipline and nous that comes in international football is obviously lower because they don't have anywhere near as much time to practice it together, do they? So I suppose yeah. with um, with uh, Southgate, for example, and the England team, there's a, there's a few Man City players that uh, are playing the England team. And I suppose they're already sort of used to some of the things that he might then ask them to do. Is he Is he trying to think what can he get away with based on... The, the his players club teams are already doing I, it's a it's a really really good question i think it goes to the heart of the best way to set up an international team for tournament football is do you try and create a style that overlaps with a significant number of your players and potentially even pick players for their suitability for that style rather than because they're necessarily the best players um or do you just try and pick the best available guys and then fit them to a system of your choosing yeah yeah i think international teams vacillate between those those two principles if you're someone like spain it's easier because a lot of the teams you know particularly in the last few tournaments where barcelona and real madrid teams were were doc dominating that squad you could get players who were fairly used to it but i i think it's it's hard I personally I would always try and keep it relatively simple um, and secure and solid and actually if I were going to coach a team in international football it would be really really boring because I would privilege <laughs> defense and midfield security and then play for set pieces yeah <laughs> and thus your romantic relationships don't work out Seb who is a terrible disappointment for you or who's going to be Okay, so as you know, I've spent the last almost 10 days in quarantine. And as a result, I've watched a lot of preparatory friendlies. Mm. And I have compiled a list of reactionary points to make up yes, based purely on those. Let's rattle through those. Let's rattle through those. So first issue, Alvaro Morata. Morata to me is someone that is either in form or is not. It's quite binary as a player. 
and he was cheerfully missing chances against Portugal over the weekend. And that would be fine, well not fine, but it would be less bad if Gerard Moreno, who um, I think only Lionel Messi scored more goals in, in the Liga last season than, than he did, um, is kind of snapping his heels. So I wonder whether there's going to be a little bit of a controversy at the head of the Spanish formation because Morata's probably going to be the starter. Morata, there was a moment during the game where he, he missed a header and and I'm relying on a Spanish-speaking Twitter account that I follow when the Spanish, the, the, the few Spanish supporters who were in the crowd started singing, Morata, Morata, you're so bad at him, which seemed really <laughs> harsh on the eve of a tournament. Oh <laughs> <laughs> like we always we always think that sort of in England we, we build people up to knock them down. That seems sort of right at the extreme edge of character building. Um, so I worry about Morata. Um, I've also got a point here, which is just Kevin De Bruyne, open brackets, facial injury, close brackets. Uh-huh. Uh, and this is because I've got a little bit of a thing about players having equipment hoisted on them. So... I don't know, a cast. Is he wearing wrist. something since the Champions League final injury? Because I haven't seen him and I many people won't have seen him. Yeah, so he hasn't played since the Champions League final, but he's returned to the Belgian camp and he will play in the tournament, but the expectation is that he wears a protective mask. He's uh, Kevin De Zorro. <laughs> Which is funny because Rudiger, the guy who gave him the injury, is also wearing a facial mask. It's like he's handed the mask over or, or the contact has kind of spawned. It's infected him with something that needs a mask to protect him. Like a mask virus, yeah. Nice little bit of symmetry, lovely, but it worries me because anytime you interfere with a player's habits, and this can be, you know, players are, are superstitious and they're creatures of habit. You know, they put on one sock for the other, you know, that kind of thing. You put on a mask, affects your peripheral vision. Also... Uh, De Bruyne, De Bruyne will have missed probably over two weeks of football before Belgium get going, and that's always a little bit of a red flag in a tournament. Um, I think it's, um, and this is, I'm going to talk about this a little bit later in a positive way, but I always feel mostly that when you come into a tournament, form, preparation, condition, these are the currencies that people don't necessarily consider. I mean, how many times in England? Have we seen a player rushed into a tournament squad? I mean, it's happened like Wayne really two or three times. Happened to Beckham, of course, back into a two. Jordan Henderson. Jordan Henderson at the moment, yep, looked very ropey at the weekend uh, against Romania. So you rush a player in because he's a quality player and you think, well, he's only been missing three or four weeks. And actually, it makes a huge difference. And even if you even if you have time to ha- have, you know, two weeks of training or... Uh, a friendly or two it just isn't the same and so given the emphasis that's on De Bruyne and given the expectation around him I think it's really difficult for him to be anything other than a disappointment wonderful player but he's almost on a hiding to nothing straight away wow you went in hard there yeah well just to balance it out I'm going to go hard on somebody else as well or another group of people mm. <laughs> let's go hard on a different country now let's, let's, let's spread it out let's be fair you for know? the purpose of balance I'm going to hate more people <laughs> Exactly that. Exactly. That's the only way to do this. If you're going to go hard, sure. you have to spread it out. All right. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I'm a little bit bemused by England's status as a favourite or one of, um, you know, among the tournament favourites because I don't think they should be anywhere near that conversation. Um, they've got a really lovely set of attacking players. They've got a very, um, what could be a very nice midfield. The defence threatens to be an absolute disaster, though, um, in the middle and at goalkeeper. You're a disgrace to your country. Well, where is my country? You need, you no need, you've got to close country. that mouth, boy. We're going to win. He's also correct, though. Yeah, but don't let being correct get in the way of uh, total <laughs> patriotism. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like we're we're heading towards a huge outbreak of scapegoating. Uh, probably yes, in please. Jordan Pickford's direction. I feel like um, we might have a situation where Harry Maguire gets rushed back a little bit too quickly. Kind of a... Uh-huh different version of the De Bruyne situation and Maguire is treated as a kind of a solution to all defensive issues. Can I say, just to interrupt you there, can I say, I love how shit uh, Maguire is when he plays for Man United apparently and then as soon as he plays for England he's He's like totally necessary and amazing. Yeah. (laughs) I love the the football fan perspective is one of my favourite kinds of perspective. I think this comes down to trust, Jay. So if you think about who, injuries aside, England's, Jordan Pickford's going to start on goal 
Harry Maguire would start at centre half, John Stones would start at the other centre half. Like we could broaden it out to be a back three, maybe chuck in Carl Walker possibly. But yeah. there is nobody in that group who I don't who I trust not to make a massive error at some point. Mm. John Stones, of course, is a great footballer, but has that in him mistake. Kyle Walker. Oh, absolutely makes mistakes. Walker 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 is never kind of I know I feel it's been a little bit harsh on him because it, it always hasn't always been what his game has been about throughout his career. Um but defensively defending that back post he makes errors and it's okay that he does because he makes up for it in the other direction he does a lot of good but uh if you're defending a lead if you're doing that thing that England do whenever they're in a kind of advantageous position where they just fall behind the ball and do nothing for 78 minutes and just hope everything goes well Mm. do you want those players in a position where they're asked to um repel attack after attack I don't think so um and Pickford makes me nervous so I think um and because it's England it'll be blown all out of proportion it'll be kind of Ooh, the goalkeeper who cost them the tournament, ignoring the fact that all roads lead to France, Portugal, possibly even Italy, and England aren't a match for any of those teams at the moment. Um, so uh, I I don't know, I'm inbuilt to expect England to be a terrible disappointment. So it's like a defence mechanism, getting it in early. Wow. Yeah. Negative Nancy. I'm going to uh, pick an England thing as well for my terrible disappointment. Oh, good. But it's slightly different. It's going to be, I'll be terribly disappointed when they don't start Jack Grealish every game. Yeah, That's my thing. Because I think he's amazing. And I was reading on Twitter last night, I saw Sam Tai saying, um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's great that people think he's, uh, he's played well for England so far recently. He's not even gone past a kind of seven or eight. And when he hits that 10, people are going to be amazed, you know. He's exactly the sort of tournament player I want to watch like somebody who I think could make hmm. uh, you know carry carry the game on their own back and he for me he just has something that no other player in that team has you know pre- perhaps Phil Foden and um, and Mason Mount maybe uh, players think though, fighting for like, similar positions to Grealish I suppose Foden and Mason Mount they're kind of they, they've got the kind of they share attributes but Grealish is just a bit more wild as a player he's just a bit more impulsive he's he's more of a I suppose the, the easy comparison is Paul Gascoigne in Italian 90 he's that guy that's just going to do the things that nobody else will I but feel he's like he's also the result of a team that is built around him right yeah. like he gets to yeah. do whatever he wants at Villa understandably and he wouldn't if he was uh, in a in a bigger team but that you you end up with that kind of a little bit raw a little bit untamed um explosive and almost kind of random talent in a way and I think that's that's the kind of player you need at an international tournament I'd start him every game I don't even know understand why it's a conversation to build on what you're saying there Joe about international tournaments and because of what I said as well I think space will be at a premium in a lot of these games particularly for the good bigger teams and if you have a player like Grealish and for Belgium for example it's De Bruyne if you have a player that you know the opposition are going to to have at least two men going towards every time they get the ball in Grealish's case probably three or four sometimes in order to kick him yeah it's going to open up space for everybody else and England don't really England have you know clever players that can make runs in behind but it's where you know when Mason Mount does that it's not because he's attracted opposition players to him necessarily it's because his movement's intelligent Foden will take players on from a bit of space but Grealish is the one person you can guarantee will kind of create a you know a vortex that sucks opposition players in towards him yeah and that's where Luke Shaw gets his overlapping runs Mason Mount can make runs in behind all of that stuff and England England need that, otherwise they're going to come up against these massively resolute blocks and it's going to be a struggle to score. Lovely use of Vortex, that, Alex. Very nice. Thank you. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. 
Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, how about this then? Uh, let's pick out some players that we are interested in watching. Uh, maybe three from beyond the beaten track. Nobody obscure, though, because they need to actually play. And uh, it was also be good. This, I'm just reading exactly what Seb has written here. It was also be good if uh, they remained in the tournament for a while. I do all the copy editing at TIFO. <laughs> copy editor for TIFO there. Poorly written. Doesn't make any sense. What he's trying to say is, don't pick something boring. And that's what yeah, he's trying to say. It's kind of a gist. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Alex, let's begin with you. Pick out some <laughs> players we're interested in. And it was also be good if they remain in the tournament for a while. Sure. Okay. In an effort to was also be good. Um, <laughs> the one player who I don't think will stay in the tournament for very long. Sorry, Seb. Um but it's definitely worth a look, is LG Felmas uh, of Napoli in North Macedonia. Uh, he is a nice, clever, tricky, technical player, drifts around a lot. Most of the creative stuff North Macedonia do will be Alioski herring down the left-hand side and Elmas drifting into space to receive the ball. And, and kind of the, he's, the, he's the creative fulcrum around everything that they do that's good, plus the energy of Alioski. Uh, and he's a very he's young he's like 21 years old i think um but a really good fun player to watch um the other two that i've picked uh will i think be in the tournament for longer uh nicolo barea of uh, italy um who is an interesting attacking midfielder i think italy's midfield balance will be really interesting like it's quite hard to pick who they'll go with because they have a lot of really good players in there, so Jorginho, Locatelli, Verratti. Um, but I think Barea adds an interesting mix of work ethic, pressing, tackling, but also is the one who is able to get into spaces in between the lines, who has a touch of creativity that is unexpected sometimes, but also does quite a lot of the grunt work. So he's a really curious blend of player there who I think is fun. Uh, and my last one is Robert Skov, uh, the Hoffenheim and Denmark Lovely winger. Lovely player. As, as, uh, Hoffenheim will often play as a wing-back um, because Hoffenheim are very wedded to that, that system. Um, for Denmark, he's more of a, an out-and-out winger. He's a phenomenal set-piece taker. Uh, I think Denmark potentially are semi-finalists in this tournament. Ooh. Probably quarter-finalists. Yeah. I, th I think they're one of those teams that kind of go under the radar. But Skov is a very direct, dynamic runner. He's he's the sort of, if you stuck him in the Croatia team of 2018, he wouldn't look out of place. You know, that kind of really yep. smashing down the line with the ball. Um, but he is also a goal threat cutting inside and his set piece delivery is as good as anyone's at the tournament. So Denmark have got a lot of good players, but he's he's the guy I would watch in that team. Uh, more, please, on Denmark. I'm not sure you're allowed to just say they're gonna, they could finish uh, third or fourth and then, and then stop. Carry on. Well, it's partly to do with the side of the draw that they're on. Um, so you know that that it's there. There's something. There's just something about them. They they ha have the right blend of a couple of players that are able to to play intelligent creative passes obviously someone like Ericsson um, they've got these big dynamic runners in in Skov uh, Yusuf Poulsen Hoiberg as the midfield I don't know what you call him sort of scrabbles around hoovering stuff up did actually score a really nice goal recently as well um, and then there's a solidity to the back line they've got one of the best goalkeepers in the tournament for sure uh, in Schmeichel um, with people like Vestergaard, there'll be a threat from set pieces, which I think is really important in football. And with people like Skov and also Eriksson, you've got good set piece delivery there. They just seem like they're primed for the right kind of football to progress in a tournament and with enough players of quality to, to allow them to do that. Plus, they won't meet anybody really, really good until the semi-final stage, I don't think, based on how it's likely to go in the draw. Seb, I'd call that a hot take. Would you call that a hot take? Yeah. 
really hot takes. I don't disagree though. I, I think it's sizzling. No, I, I think it's fair because I think there are some good players there. And we kind of with Denmark, you kind of get used to Denmark being the same tournament in, tournament out. But actually, they're a good side. Um, and I think, I, I, I don't know, it's just a suspicion. But I think stability is going to be one of the kind of key commodities in the tournament. If you look at kind of some of the issues that Germany have, for instance. Definitely. Holland are a mess. And they're a mess because of sort of different types of transition or uncertainty or coaching changes or personnel changes. Denmark don't really have that. And that's, a, that's kind of a strength. Absolutely agree. Okay, fine. Well, I'm curious to see. Alex and Seb and I are going to be spending almost every day together during the tournament and uh, doing a podcast every day. So as and when Denmark show signs of uh, making it that far, we will congratulate Alex. And of course, of course, if they were to go out at an earlier stage, Alex will be immediately fired. Seb, who are you interested in watching? This is going to build on my point about conditioning. First player, Renato Sanchez. So... Obviously had a really good season with Lille in France, but I was watching the game against Spain and he looks in very good nick. He also looks like he's playing a slightly more attacking role. I was watching um, Portuguese played mainly on the counter-attack against the Spanish, didn't have a, an awful lot of the ball. But he was a kind of, he was he was providing all the thrust from central midfield. He was linking up Cristiano Ronaldo quite nicely. And he was the kind of, if there was ever going to be a goal in that side, it was going to come from a move which involved him. So that's kind of my, like, looks in good shape. Should be. We, we know he's got the, the ability to be effective at a tournament because he has been before. Um, my other two are slightly uh, less uh, mainstream. So I've gone with Remo Fula, um, Atlanta's Remo Fula, mm. who's going to play alongside Granite Xhaka in the Swiss midfield. Now, Fula is one of those players. Yeah, he's one of those players easy to miss, though, because he's... He's not the main drawer at Atlanta. He's probably, he's not Jordan Shakiri, so you can kind of easily miss him when he plays for his country. He's just very elegant, good passer of the ball, does a lot more than you think he's going to. And he's one of those guys that if you spend a game watching him and actually watching his individual um, individual moments, you come away really impressed. So watch out for him. And the third, um, because I love a creative left footer, is uh, another Atlanta player, Ruslan Malinovsky. Huh. Now, this is going to hinge on how the Ukraine do or Ukraine do. Uh, I think they're going to get out of the group stage, which would be the first time they've done that. And they've kind of got this sort of team of left-footed players going. Um, obviously, we, we know Zinchenko from Manchester City. Andrei Yarmolenko has been around for years. Malinovsky is kind of the heartbeat of all their creativity, though. Like, if they have any sort of uh, attacking rhythm, if they're able to um, create any sort of chances for Roman Yuremchuk, who, I don't know if he's good enough to score goals at this level. Does in Belgium um, for Ghent, but we'll see. Also another left footer. But Malinowski's just fun. Like Malinowski, if you if you got into Atlanta, he's another one. He's he's the one that kind of will have drawn your attention, especially after Papi Gomez left. It's He's a lovely footballer. Uh, I was also reading a Guardian profile of him uh, over the weekend in which um, I found out about his popularity in Ukraine. He's apparently a, a very liked person, big family man, does a lot of charity work. So good for him. Go on, Ruslan Malinovsky. There we go. Well, would you like to know who I'm interested in watching? Definitely, definitely, definitely. Uh, a few players, I'm going to list them now. Uh, Dean Henderson, Sam Johnson, Jordan Pickford, Ben Chilwell, Connor Cody, <sighs> Reese James, oh Harry Maguire, Tyrone Mings, Luke He's Shaw, crossed over to this John <sighs> Stones, Kieran Trippier, Carl Walker, Ben White, uh, Ben White, Jude Bellingham, Jordan Henderson, Mason Mount, Calvin Phillips, Declan Rice, those are the players that I, I like, want to watch. Like I should provide some context. So people that mm -hmm. don't know you that well won't know that, for instance, during international tournaments, you habitually paint your face with the St. George's Cross. You do it every time. Every Naturally. time. Naturally. Since I've known you, that. that's, that's kind of... In fact, the first time we met in real life, it wasn't even a tournament. It was like a day in February and you turned up St. George's Cross painted on your face. <laughs> Not true. I, 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 do you know what I've done, Seb? I've found a means. I've discovered a way to be uh, English and uh, patriotic when it relates to football without complicated sort of iconography, historical iconography, which can be interpreted in a multitude of ways. Some positive, some negative. And also, I'd never put paint on my face skin because that's terrible for the skin. And as you know, my aim is to be be as preen. <laughs> yeah, you, you have you have good skin. Yeah, yeah, you do. Uh, well, you know, uh, 
The old, uh, old peeling wood. Uh, anyway, uh, Alex, what, but what I'm saying before I move on is uh, uh, England, obviously, I, I will make no apologies for my um, absolute intended bias over the next month. And if you listen to this podcast and you're you're not supporting England, you're supporting another team, very, very welcome. Alex and Seb are here to support you. I'm here to tell you that they all lose. Yeah, because everybody, every podcast needs one person who's excited. Now, Alex, do you have a team dynamic that interests you the most? This is why we need someone who's excited. It should be oh. uh, tactical, really, <laughs> says Seb. A midfield pairing, a full-back tandem, that kind of thing, he says. Yeah. And just to go further, in case you didn't already understand, he adds okay. something that listeners can learn about and then watch out for before saying, Joe, do you have one too? <laughs> Obviously not. <laughs> Alex... <laughs> Team dynamic that interests you the most, please. Off you go. Yeah, okay, so I've picked two. Um, and they're obviously both Eastern European midfields because I'm a walking cliche. Brand. Brand. Um, and actually, to pick up on Seb, one of your players, I, I have picked the midfield Ukraine, uh, Ukraine oh, midfield, man. even. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably going to be Zenchenko, Malinovsky, and uh, Sidochuk. And. I think it's interesting to see Zinchenko play in a role that Premier League yeah. watchers will not be used to him playing in. He is an extremely effective player in that role. Sidechuk is the anchor. He screens. He shuffles around. Um, they might use Stepanenko. Step, Stepanenko. Stepanenko. Yeah, yeah, in in that role instead, um, possibly. But it's likely to be Sidechuk. Uh, and they just have a really nice balance. You have you have a six. You have an eight. And you have somebody who's a bit more of a ten in Malinovsky. Um, the Ukraine are going to be interesting to watch because uh, Shevchenko has obviously learned a lot from all the different coaches that he's worked under. They're very very tactically fluid. They play. They're an absolute nightmare to profile because they play like five different formations in ten different games. But that midfield unit is pretty consistent across whatever they do, um, and you know I, I I do wonder with you're right, Seb, about um, about goals being an issue. But with a with a very canny coach, and it seems like that is a unit with a lot of togetherness. That squad, um, they all seem to get on really well, and you've got a coach who is used to top-level football who's worked with a lot of great coaches who understands how you prepare for tournaments sneaking suspicion they might do a little bit better than people expect um and it will be that midfield if if they do the other one i um, just quickly to reference is um and again this is partly for podcast listeners maybe for next season as well is the czech double pivot of alex kral and thomas sushek so Kral is currently at Spartak Moscow, but he's being very, very heavily linked with West Ham. Um, and uh, along actually with Adam Hlozek, who is a really, really exciting player. He probably won't start for the Czechs, but if he comes on, he's definitely worth looking at. And Kral and Suchek are a kind of classic double six. Um, Suchek is a bit more progressive, will get forwards a bit more. Kral breaks up the play, sprays passes around a little bit, and they're just... They're, go- they're going to make life difficult for any team they come across um, and potentially will be West Ham's double pivot next season as well, which I think would be a good signing for the club. Ah. There you go. Uh, let's do some, some, some house cleaning here because uh, there's already, already in this podcast a couple of things have come up that have made me think, oh, we need to address that in terms of naming things, right? Uh, producer Ollie texts us in the background to say, surely you mean the Netherlands. There's a conversation about that. Also, I just listened, Alex, you said the Ukraine. We've already talked about this a little bit, but I was curious and Googling it during your uh, uh, bit. And uh, they don't like the Ukraine. <laughs> so here's some things. Maybe we can find out for everyone during the tournament. It sounds like we should say Ukraine instead of the Ukraine, because whilst that was the traditional way of saying it, it is now uh, less common and, quote, uh, depreciated by the Ukrainian government and uh, modern media outlets. So it sounds like we should just say Ukraine. I did also see someone tweeting the other day saying, please just call us Ukraine and not the Ukraine. I apologize to our Ukrainian listeners. No, no. Listen, this is this is why we're we're getting out in the open right now so we can explain why we're doing things. 
God knows I struggle enough with player name pronunciation. I don't want to be getting countries wrong as well. Sure. <laughs> Producer Ollie uh, said, surely we mean the Netherlands when we're talking about Holland. Now, this is this is another one. I wonder if any of our Dutch listeners can uh, can let us know what they prefer, because uh, as far as as far as it goes for us, we've always said the Netherlands. Right. That's always been something that we've said. Uh, but then uh, there are lots of football media outlets that when they're referring to the Netherlands as a football team, they call them Holland, and when they're referring to the country, they call them the Netherlands. And there doesn't seem to be, I've Googled it, there doesn't seem to be a clear uh, preference one way or the other. So I'm sort of unsure of what to say on that one. Perhaps people can uh, uh, send us uh, some messages on Twitter or whatever if you, are, if you are from the Netherlands and let us know what you would prefer to be called on the TIFO podcast, and we'll just do that because that tweet, seems like an easier Seb. way of doing it. Tweet Seb specifically <laughs> yeah. at Seb, S-E-B, S-B. That's it, isn't it? And if he doesn't reply, tweet him again. Seb SB. So I've got I've got another one, just to change our direction a little bit. Um, so I found out that the, the uh, football team who are going to be known in this tournament as North Macedonia, people from that territory do not like the country being referred to as North Macedonia. Yes. Uh, there is a very good article by Simon Cooper in the Financial Times which explains why. So we will do our best if we instinctively... Well, didn't, the, didn't it used to be the Northern Republic of Macedonia or something? Yeah, but it's also North Macedonia. I think I'm getting this right. Uh, it's they just want to be Macedonia. Um, so now I feel like that's a slightly different thing because I feel like that's wading into ongoing. That's issues. an area that I don't feel wholly comfortable going into. Well, um, the difference is it's not a naming convention. It's it yeah. is a suggestion of a, of a, a sort of geopolitical dispute, and we don't know anything about that. We should ask James Montague about that. He'd probably know. He'd be a very good um, guest to explain that to us. Um, but if you do want to prime it, go to that Simon Cooper article. Sure, okay. And we yeah. will do our best to avoid that issue, but forgive us if we lapse occasionally. It's not intentional. Yeah, I just want to be on the right side of history, guys. I don't really even yeah, care if it's right yeah. or not. I just want it, the, the record to show that I did care. What a good, good person you are. So again, just, just to clarify, if there's something that you don't like about what we've said... You do need to message Seb on Twitter, and that is at Seb SB at Twitter. Seb, are your DMs open? They should be. You should open they them for this They will not be purpose. once we finish recording this podcast. The gate is being drawn down. It's, sure. Yeah, the drawbridge uh, is coming up. No, 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 no. Let's go to an advert then, and we'll be back after that advert's done. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham, all new, Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Okay, we're back now. Uh, we're back for something a bit negative because Seb loves a bit of sass. Uh, Seb says that's more fun. And listeners will get to snark back at us if we're wrong. So look forward to that, <laughs> listeners. You can really see how Seb sees you as people who snark. What a rude man. Here are his questions. Who's going to bomb? Who's going to be a letdown? And where is the biggest controversy going to occur? Uh, Seb, let's begin with you. Okay, so um, question one and two are kind of the same. And... I'm going to pick out Germany because that has all the makings of being an absolute catastrophe. Sure. It's also really interesting because you, if you compare the German squad with pretty much any of the kind of the stronger nations in the tournament, player for player, they look very dangerous. But then this is what happens when your coach doesn't really know what his best team is, certainly doesn't know what his best defense is. And also when you have kind of underlying social issues in the squad, like um, obviously the... Um, decision to uh, forcefully retire Mats Hummels and Thomas Muller did not go well <laughs> forcefully retiring sounds yeah, a lot worse than it is. <laughs> doesn't tend to be received that well um not least by Hummels and Muller themselves they're back and yet 
Germany are Germany are kind of an advert for just how important all the intangibles are in tournament football or just international football generally because they are chaotic. Their ball movement is slow and horizontal. Their defending is dreadful. Um, their attack is their attack can actually be very good depending on who's on the ball. Like Kai Havertz has had nice moments in a German foot in German shirt over the last year. Mm. It's just really and it's it's strange. I mean, I um my German is very limited, so I've only been kind of party to like a very small amount of the commentary back in Germany. But it's very negative. It's very sort of ordinarily you'd expect Germans to um assume that right we'll start getting interested as and when the quarterfinals start because that's you know that's their heritage in the in international competition they're a confident football group aren't they They are they've got a lot of ego as a footballing nation and um it wouldn't surprise me if they went out um in the group stage it also wouldn't surprise me if they went out without winning a game oh yeah it's a big shout but um i think this could be uh, an absolute disaster for germany and it's kind of okay that it is because you've also got um hansi flick taking over from yogi love at the end of the tournament so if you have a disaster your kind of solution already exists um so i don't expect it will be a disaster leading into a kind of Das Reboot style introspection. Yogi Love is the most art gallery owner looking manager yeah, out there, isn't he? Particularly when he wears a scarf. Yeah. Yes. Or a turtleneck. Sure. Sure. So I assume that is also your letdown. Well, yeah, I mean, you could probably crowbar England into that also. Will your in laws be supporting Turkey or Germany? Um, my father in law is a bit of both. Mm -hmm. If Turkey were playing Germany, I suspect. He would be go Turkey, who, by the way, uh, like I feel like I was shortchanged in section three because I had a my interesting dynamic is Turkey's forward line. Sure, uh -huh. Barrett Ilmaz, bit of Hakan Çalhanoğlu in there, and Yusuf Yazici, who plays for mm -hmm. um, Lille. That's a really interesting little three. Watch out for that. Um, but I will pick um, <laughs> I'll pick Holland slash the Netherlands as my letdown because. That feels, it feels really unfortunate because I think had Ronald Koeman stayed as national team manager, they would be in the conversation to win this tournament. Uh -huh. They were doing a lot of things well. As it is, it's chaos again. It's it's back to kind of, um, you know, what it looked like when Danny Blim was in charge. Um, and yeah, I don't know what Frank de Boer's future is going to be. Um, or every time he fails, he seems to get a better job somewhere else. So, I, you know, who knows? Maybe he'll be, you know, coaching Manchester United in two years. I'm not sure. Um, but he, um, I don't know, just seems like a misuse of talent. You look at the players that are there. I know Virgil van Dijk won't be going. That's a huge problem for any team. You can't survive a loss of a centre-back like that. Um, but it just doesn't look very good at this point. Okay. And your biggest controversy, please. I think we've already started to see it. I think it will be uh, because so much of the tournament is happening in England and because there'll be a lot of English fans, I think the booing of players taking the knee is going to be, uh, unfortunately, oh, yeah. it's going to dominate the conversation. Um, Jesus Christ. I have some pretty strong opinions about... I might just stop talking. I just, you know, I, it, you I, what, I find what, it very difficult a, to comprehend. What that. a boring conversations I have to have over and over again. Yeah, sure is. Anyway, Alex... Who's going to bomb? I mean, it's like Seb stole my notes for this section. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, short answer, Germany's going to bomb for the same reasons that Seb gave. Also, I feel Germany have a little bit of the English problem, which is uh, a lot of exciting attacking talent. You know, Germany have got people like Nabry and Sane and Müller's back in the fold now. Um, going forwards, they're super. Um, but it seems like the balance of that team is wrong. He's tried to, you know, play a three-four-three to to crowbar a number of progressive players into it. But it, they also look quite weak at centre back, which is why Hummels has been recalled. But Sula's had a lot of problems with injuries. Um, Ginter is, you know, a solid Bundesliga level pro, but he's not a stellar international player. They don't have much depth there. Um, so, yeah, uh, let down. I'm going to have to go England, I'm afraid. Sorry, mm. Joe. Um, sorry yourself, pal. I I feel sorry for you. That you sure, don't and, and look, I'm, when when England win the tournament and everyone's jubilant, then please let Seb know how disappointed you are with us by tweeting him <laughs> at SebSB. Um, but I... 
yeah, I, I just, I think England are a couple of injuries away from, as always seems to be the case, <laughs> a couple of injuries away from having a team that are a little bit directionless. I don't have much faith in, in Southgate to pick a side that has the right blend of defensive cover and, and progressive attacking. And I just feel like, I don't know, they're a bit nice, England. They're not, you know, again, again, this is one of the reasons why I would pick Grealish is because I'm not saying that Grealish isn't nice, but there's a spikiness there. You know, when he got fouled a couple of times by the Romanians uh, in the fixture on Sunday, he was like straight up and, you know, what are you going to do about it? And I, I don't I don't see many other English players that have, a, apart from Tyron Mings, who just assaults people in the penalty area, which, again, I think will cause problems. Um, you, you need to have players like that in, in tournament football. You need to have people who are uh, who are showing leadership through being aggressive by taking games by the scruff of the neck, all of that stuff, because you have 270 minutes and then you might be out. And I just feel like England are a bit soft. Sorry. Oh, biggest controversy? Is it going to be when I fire you for being negative about it? <laughs> <laughs> I think it might be. I think I think the biggest controversies, like Seb says, will sadly be things like booing people talking about issues that are related to uh, off the field stuff and. I don't, you know, I don't think we need to go into it a great deal because Southgate himself has spoken extremely eloquently on the subject. Um, but I fear that will be a problem. Okay. Well, for me, <clears throat> who's going to bomb? I've got, I've got a, a list of very specific circumstances here, which are going to make me look like a genius when they come true. Are you ready? I, I'm excited. Okay. Who's going to bomb? France are going to bum. <laughs> no, listen, listen, listen. Big shout. France big, big aren't going to make it out of the group, okay? Portugal are going to storm that group. And Germany, counter to what you guys think, are going to finish second. England are going to play them and the round of 16 and England are going to go through, right? That's what's going to happen. Wait, Germany going to finish second in their group or second in the tournament? Second in their group. Right, okay. And then England are going to play them in the round of 16. So Hungary are going to beat France. Hmm? Well, no, for Hungary, uh, wait, how, third place people go through, do they? Depends where you finish in relation to the other third places. It's very complicated. Yeah. Yeah. France are going to lose quite badly to Germany and Portugal. So even if they beat or draw with Hungary, they, they'll still be one of the third place teams that doesn't, doesn't go through. Okay. Okay. Or at least huge, if they did go through, they go through in third place, right? If they go through, they go through in third place. So that's fine, whatever, I don't care. But that, that's a bomb. That's, that's going to be a bomb. Who's going to be a letdown well now? I had one for this. Who was it? <laughs> Who was it? It was... Uh, hmm. What did I think it was going to... Uh, oh, I remember. Harry Kane. Seb. Harry Kane is going to be a letdown. Uh, and Dominic Calvert-Lewin is going to come on as a substitute in the sort of first three games of the last 10 minutes, and there'll be a spark there. And then Southgate will start him against Germany in the round of 16, and he'll score a hat-trick, and everyone will go, Harry Kane, Harry Kane, the, the, he's, leave him on the bench. That'll be the chant. Uh, it'll be Harry Kane. Catchy. Obviously, all, you have all my support, Harry. This is quite plausible. What are you, um what are, what are what are they singing that chant to the tune of? <laughs> Daydream believer or like you know, House of the Rising Sun? Or... <laughs> You're gonna leave him on the bench now. <laughs> we don't yeah. make enough of your musical ability on the pod. No, I know it's very true. Anyway, where is the biggest controversy going to occur? It's going to occur when I put my foot in your ass if you are negative about England again. And that's the controversy. So uh, there we go. That was fun, wasn't it? And I tell you, if you had fun today, core blimey, you're going to have fun every day uh, because uh, we have a, a, a nightly podcast every game day during the Euros, beginning, of course, on Friday the 11th of uh, June and ending on uh, the 11th of July. Uh, we will be here after the games have finished every night that there is a game. 
And uh, we'll also be live streaming that on YouTube from our studio with a fun multi-camera setup and our videographer Don. Uh, also Sol and Craig, which is going to be a lot of fun for us. JJ will be there. Guests from The Athletic will be there. Got some big journos coming in. And we're going to be talking about doing a sort of post-mortem on uh, the games of the day, pulling out the fun themes. Uh, so uh, come and join us there on, on uh, the YouTube, uh, TIFO IRL YouTube channel, streaming live every night, normally from 10pm, uh, or basically whenever the last game of the day finishes, wherever you are in the world. Uh, and of course, the podcast will still be released as usual on the RSS feed, so you can download it wherever you get your podcasts, and uh, hopefully listen within hours of the, of the games finishing. Uh, so that's the next time you'll hear from us um, I hope very much that you uh, enjoy the rest of your week and you enjoy uh, looking forward to England winning the Euros it's going to be a lot of fun for everybody involved and uh, I would say for now Alex Stewart thank you very much thank you Joe and Seb Stafford Bloor thanking unto you thank you very much Joe oh one quick point on uh, Seb actually uh, Seb you're in England I am in England you are in England, aren't you? I'm in quarantine for now, so I haven't been released properly into England, but I've, in 24 but hours' where, time... Where will you be when you're not in quarantine? I shall be uh, in London, and I shall be living in the environment in which we filmed State of the Club. That's right. With your uncle Seb, Damien. Seb is staying with my uncle Damien at the Old Red Lion Theatre in Angel, which I tell you, I have to say, I have to say this, and this is true now, not because it's a family establishment, but because it's Great true. venue for football watching. There are very few places in London better to watch football than the Old Red Lion. You've got the theatre roof with the TV. You've got the outside garden with the TV. You've got like two big screens inside. You've got two other big TVs inside. For wherever you sit, wherever you sit, you've got a good angle of the TV. Uh, and uh, listen, they're open Uncle for booking has a great dog. Well. There's a lovely great, dog there. Really Fantastic dog. stuff. If you're lucky, you'll catch yeah. a glimpse of Uncle Damien. If you're even luckier and you stay until late in the evening, you'll you'll be able to access Seb Stafford Bloor as he comes home from work. Now, that's the main <laughs> reason I want to tell you about this, right? Is to dox him, essentially, for a month of the tournament. He will be at the Old Red Lion Theatre every evening. From June the 11th. Now, what time he gets home is unclear, but if you're willing to wait in the cold to surprise him or attack him or whatever it is that you want to do, then you just need to wait around the back where the gate is because there are very few people around there and it's actually quite dangerous. So <laughs> that's where you go to get him. He'll probably have a MacBook with him and uh, obviously he'll welcome So. <laughs> I was That's half not paying attention there. To get <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. I'll walk you back, Seb. It's all right. Oh, God. I'm going to take the dog to the office with me. <laughs> oh, anyway, Ollie will decide what, which of that needs to be cut out. Uh, but the main thing to say is the old red line is going to be a great place during the tournament. And we're going to mention it every day because thus is the cost of uh, Seb's stay. And we're happy to pay it. Thanks to Uncle Damien. Right. We'll be back on Friday then for the first uh, post-Euros podcast. And until then, uh, au revoir, have a lovely week and goodbye. The Athletic.